what a privilege and gift it is for us to be able to sing um, our God's praises this morning. Um, I'm going to pray now for our time together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for this time um, of reflection and learning um, from your word. Uh, Please open our our hearts and minds um, to what us Jew will be teaching us this morning. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but my weeks are starting to get busier now that as we are in this in-between ISO and lockdown and whatever this time is called, I'm sure they'll think of a name of it somewhere. Um, And just like our lives, uh, church life is also getting uh, busier. So Stu is going to uh, catch us up on what's been happening in our church community this week. Everyone wanted to give you an update today on how we're travelling as we are starting to work out how we emerge from COVID. The government has started to ease some of the regulations around social distancing and allowing more people to gather together, but we continue to be very careful and cautious because we want to be good citizens and we want to make sure we keep everybody safe and so we're not rushing back to public gatherings, but we want to be thoughtful and careful. Um, Over the last few weeks, we've sent out a couple of surveys to the church to get your opinions on how you think it would be a good thing uh, to move forward as a church. And we wanted to say thank you to all those who filled in the surveys. They've been really helpful to the staff and to the leadership of the church to work out how we move forward from here. We're continuing to work with the Anglican Church and the Anglican Church has a three-step process to emerge out of COVID that we're arranging all of our protocols and practices around. And over the last few weeks, our service teams have been meeting, all 10 of our service teams, to uh, identify how to actually create a a COVID-safe environment as we uh, plan for the gatherings to get back together. So those uh, reports that those service teams are doing are being compiled now. And over the next few weeks, we're going to have a few more meetings that it can help us to actually work out how to move forward. We're not going to rush back to public gatherings, but we are wanting to see if we can start taking steps to move us back to a point where we can start meeting together again. Uh, This weekend, we've got our pastors meeting on Sunday, and the pastors meeting is going to be of all the paid staff and the volunteer pastors and also the interns of Sorrel Bible Church. And we're going to work out um, how we can work as pastors across the church, Then on Wednesday, the full Sorrel Bible Council, all 71 leaders of the Sorrel Bible Council will meet and we will also go through uh, the protocols that have been put together by the service teams. And then next week on Sunday morning, those 71 leaders are going to meet together for a trial service to see if we can um, walk through some of the uh, strategies that have been put together that include a lot of the taking on the feedback that we had from the surveys. So after those trials have been put in place, we'll be ready to start workshopping and getting our church services back together uh, across the weekend. We are hoping to give you more information soon, but for now, could you please continue to pray that God helps us to continue to be strong witnesses to his gospel in our daily lives and also pray for the church leadership that we'd be able to listen well and take on board all the comments that everyone's had and be able to move forward together safely and carefully. But we do trust in the Lord God and we know that he is king of the whole universe. Only last night at the sermon that we did for the Friday gathering, we looked at Psalm 33 and we're encouraged by the psalmist in Psalm 33 verse 1 to sing to the Lord and to praise his name because in verse 4 it says his word is true and he is righteous. And at the end of that psalm, uh, Psalm 33, in verse 20, the psalmist ends by saying, you can trust the Lord, we can trust the Lord. 
we can just continue to rely on his good providence and graciousness and mercy to us at these times. So please keep praying. And um, if you have any more feedback, uh, please let us know. Also, we want to say too, in all our correspondences, that if you need help or you need extra support, please let us know. Uh, the pastors are continuing to ring around people at church and we're continuing to visit and go on social isolated walks with people and have coffee. So please feel free to get in touch with us if you'd like to have a coffee or to say hello. Thanks for listening. One way. Uh, thanks, you. We are going to spend some time in prayer together. So will you pray with me? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning knowing that we haven't always loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all our strength. And we know too that we have not always loved our neighbours as ourselves. And so we come before you and we want to say sorry. Sorry for not loving you with our all and loving our neighbours as we should. Father, we pray that through your spirit that you would strengthen us to love you through your word to know how to love you more and how to love those around us so that we may be bold witnesses to the death and the resurrection of Jesus to the mercy and grace of your son and so father we are truly sorry but we are also uh, truly thankful we are thankful that during this time even though that we haven't been able to be together face to face that we've been able to church together online and to to zoom together father thank you for the way that you have brought us together as a community even during this time father we thank you for the raucousness of our zoom meetings afterwards and the fun that it always is and how amazing it is to start our day off together in that way father we also thank you for the things that we've been learning through daniel and through proverbs we pray that you continue to teach us through your word Father, we miss church. We miss being face-to-face. And Father, as we get closer to, as Stuart said, closer to that time when we can do church face-to-face, Father, we ask for wisdom and guidance for those in leadership of our church. Father, from our pastors to our volunteer pastors to our interns, our wardens, our parish council, our, our service team coordinators, our central coordinators to all those who lead father we ask that you would give them wisdom father we pray that uh, that you would give them insight into how we can transition to being back together face to face and doing that in a safe way a way that is being responsible citizens and also loving one another as we as we do it and father we pray for those who have been joining us online who might want to join us when we meet face to face father we pray that we would be there with arms wide open and ready for a whatever the social distancing greeting will be and that we will continue to be a warm and welcoming church father we do know though there are some who are still worried about this coronavirus and its impact on our community as a church but also our our wider community that we live in and our world and father we pray for all of us that you would bring us peace and you give us confidence in knowing that you are a God who is sovereign, who is in control over all things. That we would continue to trust you. That we would continue to bring ourselves, our community, our church, our, our nation, our world before you in prayer. Father, we, we also know that 
there are many uh, who are elderly or sick who can't be with us even if we do go back. And Father, we pray that we would continue to, to learn and think through creative and wonderful ways to love those people who can't be with us physically. Father, we pray that you would, that you would heal those who are sick. Father, we pray for those who, uh, whether it's the, the coronavirus or whether it's some other sickness at the moment, or whether it's just doing tough mentally or physically or whatever it might be, Father, we pray. We pray that you would be their comfort and their joy. Father, that you would be their peace, that you would be their rock, that you would be the one that comforts the weary and the tired. And Father, we pray that you would continue to give us the energy to meet in whatever way it might be that you would continue to grow us as a community that love you and want to love one another. Father, we pray too now as we read your word and as Stu brings your word to us, Father, we pray that you would teach us, teach us from your word what wisdom is and how we are to go about searching for it and putting it into practice so that we may not be boastful, but so that we may glorify you and point to you our god and savior and we pray all this in your son jesus name amen please join with me as we read proverbs 9 wisdom has built her house she has set up its seven pillars she has prepared her meat and mixed her wine she has also set her table she has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So concludes our reading. Well, hello, and I'd like to add my welcome today. My name's Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Revival. And today we're going to look at our second sermon in our series on Proverbs. And this week we're going to look at chapter nine. So as we begin, I think it would be a great idea for us to pray and to ask God for wisdom today, that if he is speaking to us, that we would not ignore his wisdom, that we'd be able to embrace it and benefit from it today. So how about we all bow our heads wherever we are right now? so that we can talk to God. Please join with me as I pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage today. We thank you for its insight and its simplicity. We thank you for the clear distinction that your word makes between wisdom and folly. We pray, Heavenly Father, today that we would seek to understand your wisdom and understand how it can make a difference to our lives. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would embrace your wisdom and be prepared to live it out rather than just know about the truth. We might see the truth lived out in our lives. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that because we are in Christ Jesus, that we have your Holy Spirit who is transforming us from the inside, helping us to imbibe this wisdom that we talk about today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we uh, open the text today from Proverbs chapter 9, uh, we can see that we're presented today with two house builders. And we're also presented with two sets of house guests, two different builders and two house guests. It's almost like a biblical version of the block. If you've seen the TV show, The Block, if you live in Australia and you've watched the Channel 9 show, I think it is, The Block is uh, a perennial favourite on Australian television that comes out year after year. And the idea of The Block is that the television studio uh, selects a group of contestants and they're all given a challenge to renovate an existing building, often that is in disrepair. And what's really interesting about that show is that you can see that there are certain things that each different um, contestant does to create a different story from what they're trying to build. Uh, I wasn't aware of that really until last season because in last season I was watching an episode of The Block where they were renovating an old terrace uh, building down in Melbourne and they got to the episode where they were talking about the balconies and when they got to the balconies um, as the uh, judges walked around the different uh, contestants balconies and they compared the balconies to me, to my eyes, it just looked like they all had plants, they all had places to sit, they all had nice paintings or things on the balconies, and to me, they just looked like different decorated buildings. But something that really interested me was when one of the judges said um, that they didn't like one balcony and they did like another. And as they were talking about that, I was thinking to myself, yeah, I can tell that that second balcony is better than the first, but I, can't, I don't really have words for why it's better. Anyway, one of the judges said something that really interested me. The judge said, this balcony is telling a story, whereas this balcony is just a collection of items. They're all just thrown together. Yes, they're all new and trendy items, but the, the balcony itself isn't telling a story. Now, there's a little bit of hubris to that. Like, there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, a little bit of artistic license that I suppose the judge was using, and I didn't really understand what the story was from their point of view, but I do understand it when you think about it from the passage today. What you've got here in this passage is exactly what you see on the block. There are two different stories being told from two different builders. Let's have a look with them. If you go uh, and have a look at chapter 9, and I'd encourage you to open your Bibles today. If you haven't already got them open on your laps now as you're listening to the sermon, please um, open them up to Proverbs chapter 9. Because in Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through to 5, we can see that the first builder is introduced to us. And this builder has built her house on seven pillars. She's built the house and while she's built the house, she's also prepared a meal and mixed wine in the house and she set a table for her guests. And it's interesting here that this house has been positioned, as it says in verse three, on the highest point of a city. So here this, this builder, her name is Wisdom. She's described as, a, as, as Wisdom and she's built her house on top of the city. And obviously she's not just built her house for herself, she's built her house for the benefit of others. That's why she's preparing a meal and a table for her guests to come. As she's building her house, she's already got in mind those who can benefit from 
uh, the building that she's creating. A couple of points that to point out here in verse one, the seven pillars is a reference to strength and wisdom. Um, there's a sense here with this builder that she's thought through her building. She hasn't just rushed into it. She's not just building things higgledy-piggledy. She hasn't just run down to the shops and bought the latest uh, furniture and thrown it onto a balcony and thrown a throw rug over it and then said to the judges, how good is this? She's actually methodically gone through a magazine. She's looked at how to build a, um, a house that's actually got some, uh, some of the elements to it that she really wants so that she wants to tell a story. And the story she wants to tell is captured by her name, Wisdom. She wants this house to be a place of wisdom. So she builds this house, and that's the first thing. She's methodical about it, she's thoughtful about it, she's prepared, right? Um, the second part about that is she's built the house on the highest point in the city. Now, in our modern cities, it's difficult to find the highest point because our buildings now are skyscrapers and they can be so huge that the actual topography on which the buildings are built is lost. But in the older days, when buildings weren't so high, it was quite common to see that when people built a new city, there was a lot of jostling for the highest point of the city because the highest point of the city was, was the most valuable um, land on the city because in the high point, everybody could look to it and see the building. For example, in Australia, when denominations came to Australia and Christians came to Australia, they'd often argue about who built their church on the highest point of a new town. So in some uh, towns, you'll see that uh, the Catholic Church got there first and they'd build their building on the top of the hill in the town. And to this day, if you drive over the hill and drive into a country town, you can see the Catholic Church on the top of the hill. And that means that the Catholic Church got there before the Anglican Church did. Often, if the Anglican Church got to a town first, their building would be on the top of the hill. And it's interesting, if you go to country towns, you can still see who got there first by who built their building on the top of the hill. Well, here we're told that Wisdom has built her house on the top of the hill so that everybody can look to it and they can see it. Uh, if you think of the city of Jerusalem at the time uh, when this was written, the author Solomon, who was the king of Israel, he was tasked by God to build the temple. And he builds the temple on the highest point in Mount Zion in Jerusalem because he wants to actually symbolically say that the wisdom that comes from God is actually true wisdom. So here wisdom has built her house on the top of a hill. She's prepared it, she's methodical, and she's made this beautiful house that she hopes will be something she can invite her guests to. Now, before we get to the guests, what we want to do is go to verse 13. So if you have a look in your passage down verse 13, we're introduced to the second builder. Now, there's an interesting continuity and discontinuity as we look at the first and second builder. Uh, again, the second builder is uh, portrayed in the metaphor as uh, another female builder. There's another woman who is building a house. And in verse 13, her name is Folly. So here the writer is contrasting wisdom and folly as if they were actually encapsulated in these two different builders. Now, Folly has some things that are in continuity with wisdom. She also builds her house on the highest point of the city. So in verse 14 there, she sits at the door of her house on the seat at the highest point of the city. And again, just like wisdom, she's also building her house for guests to come to. Verse 15, she's calling out to those who pass by and go on their way. She's also prepared a place for other people to come who are going to be her guests. But before we get to her guests as well, it's interesting to note that Folly has not prepared her house in the same way as Wisdom. There's this sense that this has been thrown together and there's a contrast here between Wisdom, who is methodical and thoughtful, and Folly, who is spontaneous and looking for fast pleasure. 
Wisdom is willing to actually work hard towards a point of achieving a goal, whereas folly is hasty and impatient and wants to get to that goal quickly. That's encaptured with um, verse 17, where it says there that stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. There's this sense of fast gain. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom and folly are both um, encapsulated as having opposite uh, discontinuity here by suggesting that wisdom is offering people, particularly um, people who are seeking um, to have success, that that success might actually take time and might need to be something that's worked at. Whereas time and time again, folly is offering people quick fixes. Now through the book of Proverbs, often wisdom leads to financial success and often authority and often um, acclaim from other people. And often there is also a discussion of um, sexuality as something that is uh, encapsulated in, with wisdom as being in contrast with sexuality with folly. Both sexuality and um, financial gain are both painted very differently from the terms of wisdom and folly. Now, we know, don't we, that our sexuality is a gift from God, that God has gifted us um, our, um, our sexuality and our sexual identity, and we have been given by God certain uh, beautiful gifts that we can use to express that sexuality that is given us. There is a wise way of using that sexuality, and the Bible also says right throughout the scriptures that there are also unwise ways of expressing that sexuality. Well, here there's this sense that wisdom is offering stable relationships, with stable, assured futures, both financially and within the areas of our sexual uh, expression. Whereas here in Proverbs particularly, and again in this passage, that there's this idea of stolen water that is sweet. In other words, ill-gotten gain is somehow quicker and easier and more sweet for people, rather than going to the hard work of preparing to get a job, getting a job, going to your job daily, working hard for the money that you earn. In verse 17, there's this sense that this, um, uh, this, uh, this, this, this woman folly is suggesting that stolen water is sweeter somehow than water that you need to dig a well, your own well and get your own water. If you can steal someone else's water, not only is that an easier way to get water, but somehow it's sweeter. Also, this idea that food eaten in secret is delicious. There is uh, encapsulated in this sense in verse 17, both this idea of an economic reality where people are encouraged to be thinking about um, stealing some, what is somebody else's, but there's also encapsulated here this idea that um, somebody else's uh, lover is actually somehow sweeter if you can steal their lover from someone else. Right through the scriptures, the idea of um, sexuality being portrayed in a healthy way is that a man and a woman need to be um, married before God and they need to actually be committed to the other person, that they actually need to be uh, faithful to that other person. But right through the Proverbs, there's this idea of folly calling out to those to look for sexual gratification through stolen means, just like stealing someone's water from a well. There's somehow this picture being painted that folly is encouraging us to think that sexuality that is stolen from someone else is somehow sweeter. So here we see this contrast and discontinuity between folly and wisdom. While both folly and wisdom set themselves up on the high point of the city, to some, those two might be indistinguishable. At a distance, you might see the house of wisdom and the house of folly, both looking impressive, both being on top of the hill. But if you actually go inside and see the meal that's prepared by wisdom 
and you see the meal that's prepared by folly, you will see discontinuity. The discontinuity is that wisdom is actually very different to folly. Now, both wisdom and folly are calling out to guests to come to their house. Let's go back to verse 4. Uh, wisdom is calling out after she's built her house and prepared her table. She calls out and she says, Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have uh, not seen, sorry, to those who have no sense, she says, come and eat my food and drink and the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk the straight path with insight. So right from the beginning, the idea here is that wisdom that comes from this house is available to guests to strengthen and encourage them in their lives, but also to help them to walk the straight path of insight. Now here, wisdom is described with another metaphor, isn't it? That there's this idea of being able to know what is the right way to go. Here, wisdom is being contrasted with folly again with this different metaphor. Now to illustrate what I mean by that is, I wanna tell you about a story about when I was younger and I went with a group of friends and we went bushwalking in the Blue Mountains. For those of you who don't live in Sydney, the Blue Mountains is a beautiful, rugged area just outside of Sydney. It's about an hour and a half away from where I live that we went up into the Blue Mountains to this wonderful bushwalk into these canyons. And my friends had convinced me that they knew what they were doing when they took me on this bushwalk. We're all 18 and we got in the car and we drove up for what was expected to be a two day hike. We were gonna hike into a valley and then back out again. And because my mates had done it before, I trusted that they knew what they were doing. Now this was back in the day before the internet and we just had paper maps. And my friends convinced me that the map they had was the latest map and that they knew how to read it. But as I found out later, they actually hadn't spent a lot of time reading the map before we left and they didn't really know what they were doing. So in a way, they were building a house out of folly because they hadn't really prepared to do what they had planned on doing. So anyway, I you know, blithely get out of the car, we get our backpacks on, we put our shoes on, lace up, we're all joking and laughing and we walk off into the bush. And of course we hadn't told anybody where we were going, we didn't tell anybody when we expected to be come back. We were young and we're a little bit foolish and we just walk off in a very simple matter down this uh, path. Now a day into the walk, we achieved the goal that we'd set out to achieve. We found this a particular place we wanted to go to, we, ca we camped overnight and then we turned around to come home. But in the morning, I remember waking up and thinking the perspective is different. It was pretty easy to follow one valley to the location we were going to, but as I woke up that morning, it was quite obvious that there were two valleys and I couldn't quite remember which valley we'd come down. Had we gone down that valley or that valley? I turned to my friends because they'd brought the map. But because they had hurriedly put together this plan for this walk and they hadn't really used wisdom to plan this adventure, they were actually just as confused as I was. And I was actually a bit worried because they said, oh, we're not sure which valley we should go down either. And then there was this argument that broke out amongst everyone and everyone was arguing and everyone had a different opinion. This one wanted to go that way, this one wanted to go that way. And before I knew it, I'm just following aimlessly behind tired and thirsty guys who were running out of water. We all had sunburn, our food had run out and we were starting to get a little bit worried. We were lost. We walked along and walked along and I said to the boys after a while, I said, guys, I don't remember any of this scenery. And one of the other guys goes, no, I don't either. So we sit down again and another argument ensued. And I said to the guys, look, we can either continue to keep walking into the unknown or why don't we backtrack to where we came from and we start again and we go down the other valley. And the boys all looked at me and said, but that will take two hours to get back to where we were. 
And I said, well, I'd rather walk two hours back to where we know we were to try and go down the other valley rather than trying to see if this is the one. So anyway, we had a discussion, we went back, we got back to the point where we were, we found where we were and we walked down the right valley and we just got out in time before our water ran out. It was a very, very near miss. But to me, when we read here in the passage that we need to leave our simple ways and live, I can remember that story because that was literally a story of life and death. If we had run out of water and we hadn't been found help, there was no mobile phones back then, we would have been completely lost at the mercy of those who were coming to rescue us. But we needed to walk in the way of insight, but we had actually gone to the wrong house to get prepared for that trip. We'd gone to folly. You see, the, the, the problem is though, when I was on that trek, when I was debating about whether we should go down this valley or not, there were people who were willing to be challenged about the fact that we'd made the wrong decision, but there were others who were not going to admit that they'd made a mistake. And here in the passage in verse seven, we are introduced to these kind of house guests. While wisdom is calling out to the streets for the simple to come and gain wisdom, there are those, however, that wisdom knows are the mockers who will insult. And there's a warning here. Be careful not to rebuke a mocker. It's interesting. Verse seven, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult, but whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. On that walk, I experienced that because as I was rebuking some of my friends because they'd actually taken a map out of their father's cupboard and they hadn't even read it when we went off to go for a bushwalk, they were mocking me because I'd never been on a bushwalk before. Instead of dealing with the issue at hand, they were saying, have you ever been for a bushwalk here? And I said, no. And they're like, well, who are you to tell us what to do? I'm like, I'm not. I'm just trying to say that maybe we've made a mistake. I wasn't literally trying to rebuke them, but I was trying to correct someone who was actually dead set, arrogant in their thinking, and they weren't willing to be challenged about their own shortcomings. And we see that every day, don't we? If you're like me and you are on Facebook or the internet, you can see many conversations that happen on the internet where people attempt to correct each other only to find that they get mocked. But however, even on Facebook, sometimes you have those rare conversations where you see someone challenge someone's point of view and instead of them hiding behind their arrogance and being a mocker, they're actually willing to go, oh, actually, I think I might be wrong. You see in verse nine, it says, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. So whether someone listens to you on Facebook or not, it's got nothing to do with the social um, engineering of Facebook. It's actually about the heart of the person on Facebook. If someone is wise, they will want to become wiser. If someone is foolish, they will mock others as they challenge that foolishness. Verse nine, instruct the wise that they'll be wiser still, teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Because in verse 10, wisdom knows that the beginning of wisdom doesn't come from the individual who is in an argument. Real wisdom comes from the Lord. Verse 10, we're introduced to this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For though wisdom, through wisdom your days will be many, many years will be added to your life. You see that uh, interesting promise there that for those who prepare and are wise about the way they live, there will actually be um, sustainable benefits to their life. Jesus talks about this later when he teaches, when he says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. Not many people really associate this with the teaching of Jesus or the teaching uh, that we have from the Old Testament as well. But the ways of the Lord are the best ways. If we read the maps that God gives us for life, we will prosper in our financial security often. 
Uh, while that's not necessarily true, there will be benefits to us actually being wise and careful about how we live our lives. And sometimes that actually has really practical benefits, which I'm sure you're aware of. Also, within the realms of uh, our sexuality and the way we pursue um, that part of our identity, there is wisdom in following the Lord's advice on how we are to use that wonderful gift that he has given us. Folly will actually encourage us to look for short-term gain. It's probably sometimes at the loss of another person. But wisdom is saying that it actually is right to fear the Lord, to know that the Lord God is the one who's created you. The Lord God is the one who loves you most of all. The Lord God is the one who has knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows your secret thoughts. He knows your anxious thoughts and also your dreams. The Lord God knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows you intimately and fearing him, understanding that he is the God who can actually judge us for the sin that we've done and actually cast us into an eternity without him if we reject him. Fearing his power and his wisdom is like understanding and being careful when you paddle out into a huge surf or when you go for a bushwalk into rugged Australian bush. The fear of the Australian bush is probably the beginning of wisdom when it comes to a bushwalk. But the folly of a bunch of 18-year-olds who jump out of a car with someone's else map, someone else's maps in inadequate positions and go charging off down a track because someone's walked it before years ago with their parents and they think they know how to get, that is folly. Because that is not actually fearing the Australian bush and knowing that the Australian bush is an incredibly dangerous place. Um, the fear of the Lord is to know that we should listen to him when he rebukes us. But the mocker not only mocks other people, the mocker mocks the Lord himself. The mocker actually says there is no God and that there is no God who will one day judge me for what I do. And as a result, wisdom is on the top of the hill, calling out to those who are simple to be careful not to live their life as though there is no God and there is no judgment coming at the end of the day. But for those who do fear the Lord and put their trust in the Lord and gain his understanding, it goes on in verse 11 here to say that through wisdom all your days will be many and your many years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. Jesus told a parable that was very similar to the parable of these two buildings. Instead of talking about buildings, he encapsulates wisdom and folly in terms of the foundation of your life. He said, for those who build their house on the rock, they will actually stand despite what storms may come. But those who build on the sand, when the storm comes, it'll wash away the houses. Yet, there are many who continue to seek the quick joys of folly. Folly is calling out at the same time as wisdom. And the terrifying reality in this passage is both Wisdom's house and Folly's house built on two completely foundations, different foundations. One on a firm foundation that can survive a storm, one on a, on a simple foundation that cannot look the same to the uninitiated. Folly, that unruly builder, is calling out for those who are simple to come to this house too. There is the same call coming from Wisdom and Folly. And in verse 15, we see folly calling out to those who pass by too. Instead of come and eat of things that will nourish and give you long life, she is calling people who will end up alone and will end up suffering. 
Because while stolen water is sweet, it is only sweet for a season. While food eaten in secret is delicious, it is really going to be that the light of the truth of Jesus will one day expose wickedness and evil right across all of our lives. But for those of us who trust in Jesus, verse 18 is an encouragement. But little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are in deep in the realm of the dead. Those of us who trust in Jesus know that Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full and he's encouraging us to choose wisdom over folly. This is the message of Proverbs. This is the message of not only um, choosing the right way, but actually between life and death. It's not like you're going to a supermarket and choosing one brand of cola over another brand of cola. In some ways, if you drink Coca-Cola, there's not a lot of difference between whether you drink Coca-Cola or Pepsi. But here we're told if we choose wisdom, we will live. And if we choose folly, we will not. Now, if those of us that are Christians think that we're somehow safe from any problems with regard to wisdom and folly, we might be thinking, well, I've chosen Jesus, so I'm safe in eternity. We also need to be careful because we need to remember that when we started the Christian journey, we continued on a journey and we need to continue to read the maps that God has given us so that we can continue to walk straight. And I'm going to finish just briefly by saying that even in the Christian church, sometimes we get confused about what is wise and what is folly. For example, as we emerge out of COVID in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a lot of discussions together as a church about how we should wisely emerge out of folly. And there's a danger that if we're not careful, we may get quite divided over what we think is a wise decision and a foolish decision. I think it's incredibly important right now that we get Proverbs warning really seriously in our hearts that we actually trust the gospel in all our decisions because after all the gospel of Jesus is our roadmap to life. It's no accident that we say almost every week that the most important thing we do today is to listen to God's word because God's word is the place where God is speaking to us directly from his word and we can hear his voice and more than ever right now in the emergence of out of COVID we need to listen to the Lord's voice a little bit of a warning at the end of this sermon comes to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul is talking to a church that is going through not COVID and emerging out of a pandemic, but it's still going through tumultuous times. And the problem for this church, which is actually in the city of Corinth in Greece, is that that church had become divided over what they thought was wisdom and folly because they'd taken their eyes off the gospel. And they had begun to debate with each other, just like my friends and I debated on that day we were lost in the valley. They weren't referencing God's word. They were referencing each other's opinions. And this is the appeal that Paul makes to them. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in verse 10, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there is no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some of you are from Chloe's household who inform me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, and another, I follow Christ. But Paul is saying there shouldn't be any division in the body about which leader you follow or what preacher you prefer or what leader in the church you're going to follow because what should unite us is that we all follow the Lord Jesus. And so he says in verse 18, and this is our reminder as we think of wisdom and folly to close, for the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
So the true power of God, the true wisdom, the true house we need to visit and sit down at the banquet table and partake of the food that's prepared is the wisdom that is the power of God. And that is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is life to those of us who follow Jesus. So as we move forward together as a church, let's be careful we don't become divided about how we should come out of COVID. By all means, let's discuss all the different things that we need to discuss as we emerge out of COVID. It's important that we emerge as a place where we want to keep people safe. We want to make sure that we continue to preach the gospel. We want to make sure that we continue to disciple each other in a really encouraging and, and great way, that we're a warm church and that we're still on mission. But the way we're going to achieve all that is not by um, debating different opinions about that, by making sure we continue to listen to the voice of Jesus and we continue to work out that we follow the way of wisdom. And in that way, I'm going to pray before we finish, and I'd invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this clear picture that we have before us of these two builders, this builder called wisdom and this builder called folly. We pray, Heavenly Father, that even those of us that are Christians would continue to seek to listen to wisdom, that we continue not just to debate amongst ourselves what we think is the best way forward, but we continue to be prayerful and continue to listen to your gospel and listen to your word as we discern together how best to move forward together as your people, knowing that you are leading us, you are our great shepherd, and Lord God, all we are doing is partnering with you as you are building your church. So in these things, Father, we take great assurance, and we love you, and we thank you for your wisdom, and we pray that you would give it to us abundantly at this time. In the name of Jesus, amen. One way. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Uh, just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings at the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is OK by Ixit.